This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. The onslaught of rain that has pounded the Bay Area for the last three weeks has finally come to an end. San Francisco has received about 18 inches of rain since the day after Christmas. Not since 1862 have we seen this much water within the same time period. With the rains and storm clouds in our rearview mirror, San Francisco and its residents are taking a hard look at how well the city weathered the storm. The initial response after the New Year's Eve storm was chaotic and uncoordinated. Businesses and homes were flooded, storm drains were backed up, there weren't enough sandbags for everyone, and residents struggled to manage flooding on their own. This is the climate crisis, and San Francisco isn't alone in facing it. Cities across the country and the globe have taken extreme measures to protect themselves. New York recently unveiled a $52 billion proposal to build sea barriers after facing increased storms, including Hurricane Sandy a decade ago. In Houston and other cities in Texas, communities are working to build a massive coastal spine to protect the region's ship channel. Venice, Italy is constructing a $6 billion network of floodgates to guard the historic town from high tides. What should San Francisco do? Today on Fifth Emission, City Hall reporter St. John Bernard Smith, he goes by Sinjin, will explain why San Francisco's flooding was so damaging and why building flood-resistant infrastructure is so challenging. San Francisco's aging sewage system is old school. Parts of it are over 100 years old. It's also unique. It collects both sewage and stormwater. That makes it vulnerable to overflows. But is there a limit to what city officials can actually do when storms will inevitably return for years to come. Is it about infrastructure or something else? Sinjin Barnett-Smith, welcome to Fifth Emission. Uh, pleasure to be here. So it's the million-dollar question, and I'm hoping you can answer it for us. Why wasn't San Francisco prepared for this storm? What was the main culprit? This is something we're going to probably hear a lot over the course of this interview, but I would say, first of all, it's a little bit complicated. But the line that from the city was that the sewer system, right, which is a combined sewer floodwater system, could not handle the intensity and volume of water that fell on San Francisco in such a quick amount of time. Now, this certainly isn't the first time that San Francisco residents have complained about the city's sewage system. Tell me about some other recent events that have highlighted the system's inadequacies. Another instance is in October 2021 when a storm uh, sent sewage-laden floodwater through the Marina District. And one person I talked to lost her car in this most recent storm and back then. So she was obviously very frustrated. You know, and there are other areas around the city that in the past have been very prone to flooding uh, in the Folsom and Wabona and Alamany areas, for example. So the city has sort of admitted that the sewer system isn't equipped to handle this much water. It hasn't for some time. At the same time, people have also pointed fingers at some decisions made by city leaders in these latest storms, including not using things like flood barriers and not handing out enough sandbags. There are sort of Band-Aid solutions, but they've been helpful in the past. Why weren't they more effective this time around? There are a couple dynamics happening here, right, which is we had 
nine atmospheric rivers <laughs> over the last 25 or so days. One of the biggest storms, obviously, was the New Year's Eve storm. And um, city officials have repeatedly said that they didn't really expect anything more than a half an inch to three quarters of an inch when, in fact, the city got almost six inches of rain. So there's just a huge discrepancy there of what they were expecting versus what they actually received. So, for example, I think down near 17th and Folsom, that's an area where traditionally uh, the city has deployed these flood barriers. This time, it didn't seem like there was going to be that much rain, so they didn't deploy them, and that neighborhood got walloped. One thing that's also worth noting is just, you know, <laughs> putting up these flood barriers is not cheap, right? In a 24-hour period, uh, it costs something like 5600 bucks to put these, these barriers up. And, you know, it's been, what, 23, 24, 25 days? I mean, if that were, they were to be up the whole time, I mean, that's a not insignificant amount of change. One thing that was very clear in the sort of New Year's Eve and the following week was an issue of not securing enough sandbags. San Francisco had distributed sandbags, and they were distributing five sandbags per resident that needed them. But they were making these you know, warnings like, hey, don't use these unless you absolutely need to. <laughs> and then they ran out of sandbags. So then they were scrambling the next day to try to get more sandbags, right? And they were competing with everyone else in Cal all these other communities in California that were undergoing the same problems. Sinjin, it's also important to note that the city's Public Utilities Commission recently gained new leadership. How might that have played a role in the city's response to the floods? So as you say, PUC is under new management. Uh, uh, the leader is Dennis Herrera. He came to the commission in 2021 after spending like 20 years as the city attorney. And Supervisor Hilary Ronan, who represents the mission, uh, when she talked to one of my colleagues, said she thought that perhaps, you know, one of the reasons that those flood barriers didn't go up was that um, leadership at the PUC just didn't have the familiarity with which areas flood and what they needed to do in those areas. These storms have highlighted the need for the city to upgrade a lot of the sewage system infrastructures and other kinds of projects, but the city has already committed to doing some of that. And where are they in the timeline for those projects? You know, the city is aware of the issues with its sewer system and seems like for years has been talking about upgrading it, making different improvements. Um, the, when the PUC talked to us, for example, they listed out a whole bunch of different projects that they're trying to do to make the city more resilient and prepared for future storms, which includes stuff like citywide green infrastructure projects, like rain gardens to catch some of that water so that it doesn't go straight into um, the sewer system, right? So that it sort of sits somewhere else and there were also capital improvement projects with one of the plants that sort of deals with the sewer system. I mean, we're talking a lot of money, like hundreds of millions of dollars to do this. Most of those projects are not done, and some of them won't be done until like 2032. More with Sinjin Barnett-Smith after a quick break. Why would upgrading San Francisco's sewage system be nearly impossible? And why will it be mostly residents who will have to foot the bill for flood damage? We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. 
families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Sinjin Barnett-Smith, in your story, you and your colleagues spoke to civil engineers about why updating San Francisco's sewage system is really challenging. What did they tell you? San Francisco has this combined sewer system, which includes both, you know, sewage from toilets and kitchens and things like that, and rainwater catchment. And it's the only one on coastal California that has that system. But what that means is when we have a storm like we had and it gets overwhelmed, suddenly it's spraying raw sewage into the streets, which is disgusting and unsanitary and all of that. The the challenge then is how do you fix that or what can you reasonably expect? If residents wanted to replace the sewer system with one that had separate flood water and sewage, you'd be looking at overhauling the entire system, which would just be in a city that spends $1.7 million on a public restroom, I mean, that would just be colossally, colossally expensive. Is that practical? Is it politically feasible? I don't know. One of my colleagues spoke to um, you know, an engineering expert who raised the point, when you're dealing with these huge storms and you're, you're designing your sewer system, what's the level that you design it for? That's a tough question when you know, you're saying, is the city ready for a 500-year flood? On one hand, of course not. It's, of course it's not going to be ready. Well, Sinjin, that takes me to my next point, uh, you know, about things that the city can or cannot control. And you've touched on how the city has defended its response. After the New Year's Eve storm, San Francisco Mayor London Breed seemed to distance the city from responsibility, saying that this is something that is unprecedented for our city, for the Bay Area. And we're going to do everything we can to prepare, um, but we can't control the weather. The city's emergency management executive director, Mary Ellen Carroll, also said incompetency wasn't to blame, but rather we have climate change. The planet is changing. This is the reality. And it's not just in San Francisco. It's across the board, across this country. Sinjin, how would you describe the city's current stance on the storm damage? So, you know, I was actually embedded in the emergency operations center during um, one of the storms uh, about a week after the New Year's Eve storm. Mary Ellen Carroll was standing by her, her past comments that she felt like the city had actually done a pretty good job, you know, and felt like the city had communicated as quickly and uh, completely as it could during that event. But there was this whole little side drama, right, which I'm sure you recall, where Mayor Breed, you know, held a press conference and basically said, We were under the impression and notified uh, by our National Weather Service that we could anticipate not even an inch of rain. And in fact, what we saw within a 24-hour period was a 5.5 inches of rain. The way that, that this little side narrative went was that she was blaming the National Weather Service for not doing a good enough job forecasting the weather. And they did not take kindly to that. Um, and there was this whole little intramural skirmish over this issue. They, they, they kind of had to walk that back a little bit and said, you know, hey, we're not actually blaming them. 
but we are dealing with much more uncertain times. And, you know, there are going to be times when we expect X and Y happens. You know, while people can debate who's at fault here, you know, at the same time, flood damages are really costly. And in the past, San Francisco residents have had some post-flood protections in the form of things like insurance or compensation from the city. But that's changing, and that's a big deal for residents and business owners who are facing flood damages. What's going on there? Our colleague, Nora Mishnick, uh, wrote a great story about this, which basically a couple years ago, the city passed an ordinance which would pass costs that they had used to pay out back onto homeowners. Now, the city does have grants, but, you know, you did have people who used to file administrative claims with the city or sue, and then the city would have to pay out pretty substantial payouts. When Nora spoke to the city attorney's office, a spokesperson basically said that just because the city's infrastructure was pushed beyond its capacity by bad weather, that doesn't mean the city is responsible for that damage. I'm sure that that stance will get litigated in court. Lawyers are already lining up to say, you know, oh, yeah, (laughs) Mm. we'll see about that. And Sinjana, in the meantime, what resources are available to residents as they continue to recover from the recent storm? If there are San Franciscans who are affected by the storm, who are flooding or whatnot, who are listening to the podcast, one thing I would do is suggest that they go to sfpuc.org, the city's public utilities commission, and they can find out information, for example, about the floodwater grant program, uh, apply for grants of up to $100,000 for floodproofing projects, and that would include stuff like backflow prevention devices, installing flood barriers on doorsteps or driveways, sump pumps. That's sort of the the first place that I would suggest people go. So, Sinjin, it feels like now the pressure's on for the city at the moment. Weather experts say we can expect more flooding in the future. These storms aren't going to end anytime soon because of climate change. The city has received complaints to improve the sewer infrastructure from city supervisors, from the Water Quality Control Board to residents themselves. What do people want the city to do now? What's possible? San Francisco has hundreds of million dollars in the pipeline for these sewer improvement and other kind of resiliency projects to try to make the city more prepared for the environment that we are going to be dealing with in the coming decades. One thing that stuck with me through that, my reporting and talking to Mary Ellen Carroll, you know, she talked about the challenges of the last five years, right, which included COVID, the deaths in the tenderloin, homelessness, fentanyl, the wildfires. And now on top of that, these atmospheric rivers and this unprecedented amount of rain. And she said, you know, the the challenges we're seeing now are just completely different than we would have seen a decade ago or 20 years ago or what have you. And that we just live in a time of real uncertainty. And that is something that San Francisco and San Franciscans are just going to have to they're just going to have to get used to, you know, living in, in more precarious uh, times. Mm. Sinjin, thank you so much for explaining the city's response to these really massive floods and storms for us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
Sinjin Barnett-Smith covers San Francisco City Hall and government. His story about the city's response to the storms was co-written with Chronicle reporters Trisha Thadani and J.D. Morris. Find it online at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. The city website that he suggested San Francisco residents visit for flood grant resources, again, is at sfpuc.org. Thanks to Francesca Fenzi for producing and editing this episode, to King Kaufman for the production help, and to you for listening.